How's everyone doing? All right. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not contagious, although um, Barry White here would, would make you think otherwise. Um, hey there. Um, <coughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, we should have gotten the sneeze guard put up earlier when I had suggested it, and caveat emptor sitting in the front row, but I've had this congestion that I've been dragging for a couple of weeks here. So if I start speaking Flemish during the sermon, um, just kindly disregard that, and uh, nothing to see here, and, and keep moving on. Before I get to the sermon, I'd like to invite uh, David Adams to the stage. I'd like to pray for my brother. He's, uh, after knowing him six years, he and his wife, uh, they're making a big, big step, and, and Marcelo, the whole family, uh, making a big change going to Ohio. And I just, in walking out faith with him, uh, I've, I've not known a family that has taken more hits inside and out, that has struggled more, that has wrestled with the world and wrestled with everything the evil one can throw at them and keep coming back to God and keep holding on and keep working it out. And I just want to pray. I just want to acknowledge your heart and acknowledge God. And I want to pray for you guys. Can I say something? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, what would you like to say? I just want to say that... Um I never really fed a part in this house for really much in my life when it came to school. But when I met Bill a couple of years ago, he became my best friend. We used to hang out in my house and go plays and stuff like that, and he used to pray for me and fellowship with me. He's been like a dude, not like a big brother to me, a mentor in the Lord. When I was preaching the street, teaching me words of God to preach, and um, he was he's the best friend to me I never had in this house though. And he's a, my buddy. I love, love him. Love you, man. Um, I want to say that on every time that I got baptized in 94, Hospital 4 by Bernard Johnson, Marjico, baptized in 2011, and uh, 1992, I got baptized downstairs the um, um, first time. And uh, I just come in um, for you, it'll happen downstairs in the foyer. If y'all know Lauren Lucas knows about it, we just come um her prayer team uh, down there, we used to pray at 6.30 in the morning when I was with my sister, my sister, my Wendy, and Michaela, when my sister was alive. Um, I miss you guys a lot. I mean, it's been family, you guys have been family for a long time, you know. Best time to move on. And I, my prayer is that um, they, 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 all the righteous, a lot of Christians are in Ohio, that a lot of Christians in Ohio, either gay or straight, will, will manifest in Sanskrit too. Okay. Gay straight, a lot of Christians come in there on Hakim and Sisko too. Oh. They're gay straight will, will come in this city and fill the city with love Amen. that I cannot find in the past years. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you, you see the inside, that you see the heart, that you delight in the work that you're doing with intimacy and fellowship. And you use all, all of life, inside and out, to form that. That which is still jagged, that which is still being formed, that which is even uh, against you in this world, you use it to sift, to refine, uh, that you would see your image. That as you slag the dross off, you delight in seeing your image and seeing it formed in hearts, hearts willing to wrestle, willing to dance, willing to speak for you. So I pray that you would be with David, Leonilla, Marcelo, as they move to a new chapter, a new uh, opportunity in you. Uh, And in the transition, Father, that you would affirm to them who they are in you, who you are, your faithfulness, your grace, up to this point and on into eternity. 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I love you, brother. Thanks. Thanks. We'll be, uh, we'll be hitting up others as well with, uh, within transition. Now, some of you may have known um, I, I played football in high school, but the reason I did was compensation because I started out as the biggest dork on the planet. In eighth grade, it wasn't enough to be in the, the a treasurer of my Dungeons and Dragons club. So I had to double down in ninth grade and a marching band. Now, marching band's awesome. I'm not taking anything away. I'm just playing off of a stereotype. Because having done marching band, the view from the outside is, what a bunch of tools. Look at the outfits. I, I, I bet the uniforms were based on a dare. But understanding how things are marched out, you see there's so much more going on. Marching bands. They're entertaining. Marching bands, they're part of our, our culture, our history, the halftime show, parades, you know, activity together. What does it take to be in a marching band? Well, you've got to know to play an instrument, probably. Depends on the, the marching band, I guess. But you've got to know how to basically play an instrument. Second thing that distinguishing, distinguishes a marching band, there's, there's Cal Aggie marching band, duh. Um, second thing is the uniform. Everybody dresses the same, so you know what team you're on. But it's not enough just to have uniforms, like I said, some that were based on a dare. It's, um, you've got to uh, look the part, act the part, talk the part. Drum major would probably be the pinnacle of uh, the pomp and circumstance that's around a marching band. And even though this isn't my team, no one has a greater drum major than USC. I mean, come on, really? I mean, that's just awesome. It just is. Um, I always root for UCLA, but whatever. Point is... Um, so you have a uniform, you know how to play an instrument, you're all wearing the same thing, you're all playing the same thing. But you're still not a marching band. Because one thing about a marching band is you have to march. march, exactly, step up on the left. So you learn to march. Oh, okay, what, these guys here? Let's go back. Yeah, they need a little work. Okay, come on. Seriously? Really? Look at that. You filled up a bowl. And, okay, so you got to practice marching on the street. It's the parades. It's avoiding the road apples from the horses. It's, uh, and you're looking to each person. You're all aligning yourself from the person on the side. And it kind of crises the cornerstone. But I'm not going there. Anyway, you learn to march. What do you do in the infantry? You march, march. There you go. High-stepping, getting it better. And no one does it better than FAMU. But, okay, so... You've got, you've got the high-stepping, you've got the marching, you've got the instruments, you're playing the same thing, you're all dressed the same way, but you're still not a marching band because marching band isn't individuals that are dressed alike. Marching band isn't everybody playing or reading from the same sheet of music, playing their part, but it's everything coming together in a whole that the observer from the outside isn't just looking at the individuals, although the individuals are absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary. But it is the whole that is seen when you look at the final product. Man, I hope you can see this. Grab that box of popcorn and settle down in your seat. We're going to the movies. Tonight, the Ohio State University marching band has your ticket to a big-time halftime of Hollywood blockbusters. Look up in the sky.
We're going to be looking at John chapter 17. This is the second part in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. What he prays for us just before he makes the ultimate sacrifice. And it's the very basic truth in Christ's prayer for us. When the church is one, the world can see God. See, it's not a matter about reading from the same sheet of music. It's not a matter of all dressing alike. It's not a matter of just being able to play an instrument. But it's in working in coordination. It's being intent on the same purpose, the same values, the same passion, the same heart. All coming together with different roles unique that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And when everyone sees the individuals purposing themselves toward the same goal differently, they see something very different than the individuals. When the church is one, not identical, not uniform, but united, intent in mind and purpose in heart, people can see God. Now, last week, we looked at the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Jesus prays this. Beginning, he prays just him and God in fellowship. Then he prays for his disciples. This week, we're going to look at his prayer for each of us. Last week, what he prayed and what, what the, the kind of the big um, understanding that everyone who would believe through the disciples is, I am set apart so that I can be, set to the, I can be sent to the world. Jesus is saying, I was taken from heaven. I was set apart. I set aside my my holding on to glory. I had to learn obedience through that which I suffered so that I would be perfected to represent, to take each person's place. And so Jesus was set apart so he could be sent more into the world, more intimately into our hearts, more into the mud and crud of our life and our broken world than we could ever imagine. Then, as you remember, last week, Jesus goes on and he prays, you all disciples, you all Christ followers, you all on the inside, you are set apart. You are not to be like the world, same value, same sheet of music. You are set apart not to be apart but so that you can be perfected, you can be trained, you can have the the, the rough edges worked off so you can be sent more into the world, more into others' hearts, more into the lives of those who have yet to know you than you could ever imagine. What we do in here is directly related to so that we can be out there um, in our lives. And that's how God rolls. That's what he did for himself. That's what he insisted upon and poured his life into for his disciples. And now... He puts the spotlight on us. Starting at verse 20, John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How many people know Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior? 
How many people have entered into faith relationship with Christ? If you haven't, that's fine. If you are here seeking, Jesus want to check it out, there's no better place to be. That's great. But everyone who calls upon the name of Christ, this is Jesus praying for you. This is the last recorded prayer we have other than Father, forgive them. They know not what they do um, for us. And it is a prayer for you. This is Jesus praying for you. Hebrews 7, 25, 29, 25 says uh, Jesus forever lives that he would make intercession for each of us. So you can imagine him praying this prayer. This was on his heart. This is the last thing he told his disciples. And he said, everything I poured into you so that others, you absolutely, and everyone through you, through you being, having been set apart, through you having been sent into the world more than you can imagine, that they would believe that they would have this love, they would have this unity. And likewise, this is the same prayer for us. The unity of the Father and Son is the model for our unity. How much does the Father love the Son? That's how much we're to love one another. How, how much is the Father and the Son, are they united in the same mission, the same purpose, the same heart, the same goals? That is the standard for us. And Jesus never once sets the bar lower or says, you know, that's just too difficult. You know, there's just too whatever. That he is forever at work with our hearts, with our lives, having loved us to the end for this that there would be this degree of love, this degree of intimacy, this degree of unity, that people could see, God, I want that. Now, there's two horizons here. One of them's very simple. One of them, a little counterintuitive. It says, may, may they also be in us. May I be in them. Let's take the easy one first. May I be in them. May Christ be in us. We get that. Christ in us. Isn't that what we call the Christian life or sanctification or, uh, or discipleship, that's we come to God. Man, I lived my whole life thinking this was it, thinking these were the important things. I realized I'm worshiping lesser things. I'm worship- I, I realized that I am dead before I, before I even began. And this is what God did for me. And so I come into faith relationship, and this is the God I want to know more. And so us walking out our faith is unlearning the ways of the world, learning the ways of God, and it's awkward and it's weird, but this is what it means to have more of Christ in us. It's like the funnel, you know, oil change. We're just, we're displacing the world the more that we allow Christ to be in us, in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our action, in our outworking, in our associations, in our money, in our time, in every aspect of our life. So the Christ in us, man, we get that. But it talks about that they, that we, may be in God, may be in Jesus, may be in that unity. That's interesting. That's interesting. You know, sometimes we think the, um, the Holy Trinity is a quartet, that, that we're the fourth member. You know, we're the consigliere to the, to the Trinity, that, that we're the, the advisor. That, that's not what this means, that, that we're somehow, God's got to run it by us or whatnot. That's not what that means. But it isn't this mystical kind of um, flip side of, yeah, Christ and us and us and them and the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man and peace out and it's all good. It doesn't mean that either. Believe what this means is in the same way that Christ has, is, and will continue to pursue us, that more of us Um, allows more of him in, we should have that and we can have that same attitude that we pursue God, that more of us would be in him. And the more we get rid of and slack off that doesn't look like him, the more that's possible, the more that happens. And so there's an active pursuit of God and that means going where God is. 
You see, the easy thing to do would say, oh, wait, me in Christ, that's like John 15. That's the vine and the branches. That's this life dependence. As long as I am in Christ and I'm dependent upon him, I grow. And that's absolutely true. But the whole point of this prayer and the whole point of this section starting at verse 20 is the net result would be what the world can see. It's what we call our witness. Can I get a witness? The world, the broken world asks, show us the Father as Philip did to Jesus. And so it's us allowing more of God in us and us going where God is, doing what God is doing, being where God uh, in his heart and and, in those he cares about. That is how we pursue God. And that is how the world sees him. It implies an active identification with the father in the same way that Jesus actively identified with his father. Throughout the gospel of John, Jesus has said over and over and over and over and over again, I and the Father are one. He wasn't talking about, although it's absolutely true, and and we we do this whole mystical Godhead Trinity thing, that God and Jesus are both God, distinct persons within the Godhead, and so they are one, and we get that, and we just put that in the theology box. That is not what Jesus was talking about. Do you really think talking to a bunch of illiterate, ignorant fishermen uh, at, at the turn of the millennium, that they're going to understand all this deeply nuanced theology that 2,000 years of academics hasn't shed any more light on. I don't think so. He wasn't going there with them. He was saying, you know what it means to identify with someone because y'all apprenticed yourself as fishermen. You purposed yourself to be fishermen. James and John, your dad, Zebedee. Um, You get up in the morning as kids. You followed your dad out. You carried the boat to the water. You cleaned the nets. You, you, You pulled them out from drying out the night before. You threw them in the boat. You went out there. You knew how to cast them from the skiff. You, everything the father did, you did. And so you, the more you did as he did, you identify with him. You are the fisherman. You are the fisherman's son. Now you are the head. It's interesting how this works because we have in the, um, when we first are, are introduced to Moses, he is the servant of God. When we're first introduced to Joshua, the only orphan in the Bible, right? Joshua, son of none. Okay, it's an old joke. Anyway, when we're introduced to Joshua, uh, it says Joshua, the servant of Moses. Joshua, the servant of Moses. And this goes through the entire book. But right when we get to the death of Moses and then the beginning of the book of Joshua, who do we have? The servant of the Lord. Joshua, servant of the Lord. Okay, because he's so identified with what Moses was doing. Moses is so identifying what God was doing. There's no grandkids. And so he had a direct relationship with God's servant of God. He purposed himself in the same way um, Jesus purposed himself. What he was telling his disciples is, isn't this theological unity? Although that's true, that's not where I'm going. I, I, I hear the father speaking and I speak. I see what God is doing, and I imitate him. I feel his heart, and I resonate with it, and it spurs me to action. And so that is the type of identification that Jesus modeled consistently to Pharisees and disciples and said, this is what life is all about, choose. And likewise, he was saying, you imitate me as I imitate God. Paul got it. That's why he could say, to the extent that I follow Christ, follow me. Whatever doesn't look like Christ, get rid of that. Whatever looks like Christ, emulate it and do better and move on. It is this apprenticeship way of doing life together so that collectively a disbelieving world may see the living God, may realize, man, I want that. I need that. That is God. It's the come follow me part. 
What does the world see at the present when the world looks at the church, capital C? See, 15,000 denominations. Ow. A lot of those are necessary. A lot of those are a limited perspective. A lot of those are just historical. A lot of those are, let, let's Paul and Barnabas this and divide and, and go off. But a lot of it was just based on sin, misunderstanding, divisions, focusing on the wrong things, focusing on what divides rather than focusing on what unites. And we all do that. That's all of our hearts. It is an is thing. But with 15,000 different marching bands out there, what, what God are people seeing? What does the world see at present? Christians hating on other Christians. That we focus on how we are different, how I am better than, how I know better, how my brand of Christianity, my experience with Christ is more valid, is more true, is more pertinent. It might be for me, but that's very different than saying that has to be for you. And when I put me over you, when I put my tribe over your tribe, when I put my church over your church, my denomination over your denomination, my experience over your experience, we're in big trouble because now the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son have, a, have an additional partner. And the Trinity is a quartet once again. What does the world see at present? That the church exists only for ourselves. All groups do that. Jesus recognized that. You love those who love you. Everyone does that. That's not unusual. The most godless people do that naturally. But do you love those that you have no business loving? The last, the least, the lost? Because that's what God does. That's where he is. That's where he is when he said, come follow me. The good that we do for others is a universal witness. That's what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. That's why we are set apart that we can do this well. Our internal squabbles and external power gambits, my mismanagement of my own faith spills over into I have to control you or I have to divide you. So neither of you will be a threat to me so that I don't have to change. Our internal struggles or external power gambits, that is very much us being of the world and being removed from this world. And they're two very, very different ways of apprehending God. And the world still asks, like Philip, show us the Father. So Jesus continues to pray. He prays a beautiful prayer. He prays a, prays a glorious prayer. And I hope you know he prays this prayer. Notice the present tense. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He prays this prayer for you and for me and for all of us daily. Because he loves us. And he's not willing to settle for anything less than perfect intimacy. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. How are we able to see God's glory? How are we able to be with him where he is? That is the work that he's doing right now, expanding our hearts as we run the way of his truth. To see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I will continue to make you known in order that the Father's love for the Son would be the daily experience of his children. Why does Jesus continue to reconcile the world? 
to push forward on mission, to go after the least, the lost, the lonely. So that the intensity, the unparalleled passion, the unconditional, extravagant, grace-filled fire hose of love that is God would be our daily experience. Do you see what's being said here? As the gospel goes forward and changes lives, the result of that is that our hearts are drawn into closer fellowship with God. It isn't that we we have a, a finite amount of God and a finite amount of ability and a finite amount of resources, and it's either for me, it's for somebody else, and I give it away, it's not for me. But just like the little boy with the broken pieces of bread and some smelly fish, the little that he had, he offered it up taken, broken, blessed, multiplied, just like what he does with us. And so as we offer what little, smelly, broken parts we have, God takes, blesses, breaks, and multiplies. And as that redounds, do you think that boy had a much bigger lunch than, than, than what he came in with? Absolutely. The more the gospel is revealed in other people's hearts, the more the gospel is revealed in our own hearts. Paul lays this out in in Colossians 1, which is the exalted Christ. That's the lens through which you read that book um, in the world and in the church. And in Colossians chapter 1, the the thunderclap showing us who's on the throne, he talks about as the gospel has been continuously bearing fruit and growing in the world, and it's the identical phrase, by the same token and in the same portion and measure, the gospel is continuing to bear fruit and grow in you. As you give it away, as you share it, it grows and abounds in you. Jesus said it this way, the one who seeks to save his life, the one who seeks to make his life comfortable, the one who seeks to play it safe, the one who seeks to acquire, to accumulate, to put up walls, the one who seeks to insulate and isolate, for very good reasons, because the world's jacked up, is going to lose their life, because the whole thing's being swept away. But the one who loses their life, who doesn't focus on being safe, but being dangerous, who doesn't focus on being away, but being available, will gain their life will receive it in full. More focus on others knowing God results in us knowing him more. And not just knowing more about him, not just seeing him work in others' lives when we may not see it in our own lives, but it is a quality of relationship. It is a quality of love. The love that you have for me in them so much so I may be in them to that extent. And that is the prayer. I hope you can hear that. That is Christ's prayer for each of us. No matter where you are, no matter what you might be going through, no matter what your doubts are, no matter what happened this morning or this week or this month or this year, no matter what your fears and concerns are, your own heart and what might happen or what others might do to you or not do or all of these things, where we find ourselves is simply this. Christ's ultimate prayer and where he is using all of this is that this level of trust and surrender and intimacy and grace and passion that Jesus modeled with the Father would be our normal daily experience. And Christ isn't going to stop with any of us having loved us to the utmost until that is the reality. Until that is the reality. I think one of the most beautiful illustrations that I heard Uh, It's the story of Enoch. It's kind of this mysterious story in the book of Genesis. It says that Enoch walked with God daily, and then he wasn't. 
and then he was taken, then he wasn't found. And, and the, the Jewish commentary is going to say he's, he's one that didn't taste death, like, like Elijah and that sort of thing. And I think that is such a beautiful story of the intimacy of God. You see, throughout Scripture, with broken lives and people that do stupid things and make mistakes, and not just make mistakes before they encounter God, but they encounter God, and they make even bigger mistakes, just like all of us, right? And we see how God still is there and and picking them up and loving them and, and walking with them. And the whole image is walking with God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. It's an image for all the time in the world, sharing life. You can go deep. You can stay on the surface. You're just there. You're in each other's presence, that it's a daily walk. And we have these examples of of Abraham, of Moses. I talked with him face to face. This person, God says this, this person is my friend. Jesus, friend of sinners, right? That there's this intimacy, there's this connection that goes far beyond the theological categories, far beyond the traditions, far beyond our experience. That is, however it is played out to us and all that God's put in, and that's been good. Your experience, your denomination, your, your, all of that with God is all under this end. Greater and greater intimacy. And so there's a sense of Enoch that he walked daily with God, that they just got lost in each other's conversations, lost in each other's hearts and minds and and sharing. And it was something that God looked forward to, walking with Enoch each day. And you could imagine many days they were like, okay, Enoch, it's getting late. Let's kind of head back to your house. But one day, Lord said, you know, we're much closer to my house than yours. Let's go home. And that's what God has for each of us. That is his heart. That is his passion. Maria.